Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Thank you for being in church today. Welcome to November. You have made it to the 11th month of 2020. 2020 has only has two more months left to do its thing, and all God's people said, all right, we're ready for 2021 probably. It's been a wild year for all of us, hasn't it? In many ways, our, our nation, our country has been temporarily changed in some crazy ways. Some things that none of us could have foreseen or expected when we began this year, and masks and distancing and the happiest place on earth being closed for seven, eight, nine months. Who would have expected that? Uh, the, uh, the shutdowns and all of the businesses and, and all of those effects. And even last night as I was driving home from the hospital um, and having spent some time with Leonard and Gina, and my heart broke to think of how many people have, have passed away, have died alone without loved ones by their sides. And, and just so many different ways that, that our nation, at least temporarily, has been, our country has been changed. Schools, of cl- course, were closed for some time. Our dear Emperor Newsom telling us that we're not allowed to celebrate Thanksgiving like normal this year. And uh, he says that Thanksgiving has to be less than two hours with no singing. I don't know what kind of Thanksgiving parties he's been to. Number one, we never sing at ours. I don't know who's singing at Thanksgiving. And number two, who only celebrates for two hours? Like, that's not even long enough for a football game. And there are three football games on, th- on, on Thanksgiving. That's at least nine hours together, right? And uh, let alone, you've got to, it has to be long enough after you eat your Thanksgiving meal to get hungry to have some leftovers. That's when Thanksgiving really starts. And so just some crazy stuff. And in light of, of Governor Newsom's dictatorial Thanksgiving decrees, I want to share with you the, the uh, Thompson family Thanksgiving announcement. I saw this. Here it is. I think we have that there. Thanksgiving is canceled this year due to COVID, but sadly our pet turkey has passed away and we are holding a visitation in lieu of flowers. Please, please bring a salad and a side dish. And so we're going to find a way to get together, I guess, for Thanksgiving. And I don't make, I, seriously, there are people in our church, I, I, I know of some, that, that their health needs dictate that they should not be with large groups. And I'm not making light of, of this season. I think if you've been here for any length of time, you know, know my heart. But, uh, and, and there are some folks that they won't be able or should not, based on their health situation, get together with, with large groups. And I understand that. And all of us should be cautious and wise. But, uh, but, but I am looking forward to Thanksgiving with my family. And uh, we're going to do that. We're going to enjoy some time together there. But our nation has temporarily changed in some ways. And, and I believe, actually, the mentality of our nation in some ways has probably been changed permanently. I said this early on, there are some things, you go back to 9-11, the mentality of our country has never been the same. Now, it doesn't mean it's, it's a bad nation. It doesn't mean we, we don't, but our, our mentality changed on 9-11. We understood for the first time in our lifetimes that attacks could come within our borders. It was the first time really since Pearl Harbor that that had happened. And it changed some things about our understanding of the world. And in my opinion, some things have changed. And that's not my message today, but there have been some mentality shifts, even in government understanding what they can get away with and what they can do and the mentality of the American people, giving away some of those things that we have never freedoms and rights and things that our mentality has changed in some of those ways. And, 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 and we see that in some ways, practically speaking, it's changed, but I believe, spiritually speaking, there are some great ways that our country needs to change. 
Many are looking for the change that we desire in this Tuesday's elections. Many want to give President Trump another four years to continue enacting some of the change that he has in the previous four years. Others believe that the best thing that could happen would be for the change that they think that Biden and Harris would bring. But the reality is, no matter where you line up on the political spectrum, those that are watching or those in this room, the reality is that all of us see some things in our country that we believe need to be changed. And for all of us, those changes might be different. We might not agree on what changes should take place, but it's one reason why the voter turnout has been so strong this year. And, 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 and it's been, it feels like such a passionate election cycle. And every election cycle is passionate, and every election cycle we hear is the most important one for the future of our country. But it feels like this one is a little more passionate than times before. Why is that? There's a variety of reasons probably, but I believe one of those is because because all of us see some things that we feel like we either want to see some of this change or we want to keep some of that change or whatever it might be. We see some ways that this could change our nation for what we think is better or worse, and, and so we want to have a part in that. The truth, church, and I know this sounds cliche, but I want us to really understand this. The truth is that the greatest change that we need in our country is spiritual. We need a national revival of turning to Jesus Christ and allowing his word to guide our lives and to change our nation. I didn't plan a message specifically for the election season. We found ourselves in Act 16 in a series that we began over a year ago, and this is where God has us, and really my message won't really hit on an election cycle, but with the title, I don't want you to think, oh, did he come up with it? This is where God had us in our, this is our 47th message in our verse-by-verse walkthrough of Acts that started last June. This is where God has us. The title of the message this morning is How to Change a Country. How to Change a Country. If you will, turn with me to uh, Acts chapter number 16. The fifth book of the New Testament, the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, and then Acts. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to grab one from the pew rack in front of you. If you're sitting in one of the chairs back there and you don't have a copy of God's Word, we should probably remember that. I just thought of it. We've been meeting for like three months Pastor Doug or someone, we should remember to get some extra um, pew Bibles there for some of those chairs for folks that are sitting in the back. The reason being, I say it almost every week, but if there's any power in anything that I preach today, it's, it's going to come from the Word of God. And if that's where the power is, I think you should see it for yourself. And maybe if you're like me and if you have your own Bible and the habit of underlining or taking notes and, and seeing some things from Scripture... If you're following along on the tablet, uh, I'll be reading, and we'll, if we read together a verse, we'll be reading from the King James Version of the Bible, Acts in chapter number 16. Last week, I brought a message entitled, The Gospel Arrives to Europe, and if we can throw that map up there, we looked at Acts 16 to give us all a little background. Acts 16 is the story of Paul's second missionary journey. He started right here above that, that where it says Syria, and that little dot that says Antioch. Paul, Silas, and, and Paul and Silas start there over in Lystra, so you can follow the kind of the fourth dot along the line. In Lystra, they pick up Timothy, a young, young Timothy, who would become a protege, a protege, I guess you, you could say, of Paul in the ministry. And so they're on their second missionary journey, and they continued on, and they wanted to go north, they wanted to go south, and God said, no, I want you to go to Europe. And so where it says Troas, 
They, they boarded a ship. They went over to the island there and then went on into Neapolis. And the second dot, Philippi, about 10 miles inland, is where they landed. That's really the first place, they, that is the first place they, that's recorded that they landed to preach, begin preaching the gospel of Christ in Europe. This is the first time that Europe gets the gospel. That was last week's message, and we, we studied the entire chapter, chapter 16. We looked at 35 verses together. We won't be doing that today. I told you last week that was all foundation for the next three or four uh, uh, weeks of messages we're going to be pulling out of Acts 16. What is happening in this chapter is the seeds of gospel change are being planted in a city, Philippi, a country, Greece, and a continent, Europe, that would have far-reaching effects for millennia. You see, if you came to know Christ in the Western Hemisphere, if you were introduced to the gospel in the Western Hemisphere somewhere in, in the 1900s or 2000s, you can look back and trace the roots of where that came from, from Acts 16. Paul and Silas taking the gospel to Europe were the, the not, so not only did it change a city, Philippi, and not only did it change a country, Greece, and not at that time, and not only did it change a continent, Europe, it had far-reaching impacts into many other countries, cities, countries, and even continents. And so today our message is how to change a country. It could have been entitled how to change a city or even how to change a continent. But we're going to look here, and in this chapter, Paul and Silas, they sailed to Europe. You remember the story last week? And there was no synagogue. That's where Paul, and Paul would normally go to start preaching, people that already knew something of Old Testament Scripture, the Jewish, Jewish people. There was no synagogue because there weren't at least 10 men that would, would start a synagogue. So there were just a few women that went down to the riverside to begin praying. So Paul went down, very humble beginnings for, for, for country change, for national change. He goes down to preach to a few ladies by a river. And a lady named Lydia of Thyatira got saved, a seller of purple, a wealthy woman. In that culture, women were not viewed on the same level with respect to men. In fact, the Jews would often pray. Uh, they would pray, God, thank you that you didn't make me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That's how they viewed in their society. And what does God show us when he goes to Europe? The first person that he gives the precious good news of the gospel to is a woman. A lady. God's gospel is for everybody, no matter gender, nationality, upbringing, your economic status, no matter any of that, God loves you and he wants you to know the truth of the gospel. And, and so we see that Lydia got saved and then Paul, he casts out the demon from that demon-possessed young damsel and they didn't like it because that affected the business of her masters. So they start lying about him and they throw him and Silas into jail. Remember that last week? They're in jail. What did they do at midnight? They prayed and what a beautiful testimony. We'll, we'll bring a message out on that probably next Sunday. They prayed and sang, and the earthquake, the, 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 God sent an earthquake and opened the prison doors. The, the, uh, the jailer there, uh, Philippian jailer, gets saved in his house, and we see a church in Philippi planted. We see the gospel doing amazing things. Later, Paul will write the, the book of Philippians is a letter back to that church. And we will see that this visit began to change a city and would have reaching effects into a country and even a continent. And so we're going to, we, we see here lives changed and, and, and even cities turned upside down with the gospel. And so today we're going to look at how to change a country. To answer that question, we're going to need to answer the questions of how, who, and where that are all answered in this passage. 
So how do we change a country? I want you to see in verse 13. Would you read Acts 16, verse 13 aloud with me together? Acts 16, verse 13. Ready? Begin. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. What did they speak? They, what did they, we know they were speaking the gospel because verse 14 in the second half of it says, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Where do you see life change begin? Where do you see change in a church begin? Where do you see change in a city and a country? How do you change a country? How do you change? By the way, you change a country by changing a whole bunch of lives. Countries are made of people. How do you change a life? The gospel of Jesus Christ. You heard them sing about it here. Oh, it saved my life. The blood of Jesus saved my life. It completely changed me. We are not just, the Bible says, we don't just clean ourselves up. The Bible says we are new creatures. The Bible says we are transformed. We're, we're not just, we were kind of bad and now we're a little better. We were dead and now we're alive. How do you change a country? How do you answer that? The, the, the first question we have to, have to answer is how? And the first answer to that question is you preach the gospel. May I just say, on this. And again, this is not a, a political message. This message wasn't planned with the election in mind. But what America needs more than anything else, whether you're passionate about your party, your candidate, your, your, your local affiliate, the congressman. I, I, had, uh, I had breakfast a couple weeks ago with one of our senators and with a Newport Beach City Council member. And I'm, I'm all for those that serve in those capacities. But what is going to bring true change to any person, to any family, to any church, to any area is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now vote. My wife and I voted on Friday. I'm not saying don't vote. What I am saying is don't place your faith and your trust in those you vote for. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. We will trust in the name of the Lord our God. It is God that, that raises up kings and brings them down. God is the one in control of all of this. And if your candidate gets in, praise God and, and, and rejoice. And if your candidate doesn't get in, praise God and rejoice. Our calling next Sunday is no different than it is today as Christians, as, as the church of Jesus Christ. We have to preach the gospel. We need to speak of Christ to friends, to coworkers, invite them to church with you, share things on social media. Our churches need to be faithful in preaching the true answer. Lydia was saved, lives were changed. Her household was saved, probably including servants and baptized. The demon-possessed woman was delivered from an evil spirit. The jailer and his family got saved. How did change come to that area? Change came, the change came by somebody lifting up Christ. That's where change came from. Orange County doesn't need another church sharing human wisdom, proclaiming my traditions or my opinions or my political leanings or my preferences. Orange County and the people of this church and every other Bible-believing church need a return to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, not just the church and the pastor. Those in your life need you to speak Jesus to them. They need you to share the truth. Those that you come across, those that you work with, those that you live near, those at the store, those that make your coffee, they need some Christians that are willing to engage them where they're at. Paul went to them down by the riverside and speak the good news. You find somebody that's hurting, that's struggling, that's frustrated, that's discouraged, that's depressed. Share Jesus with them. Tell them about how he changed your life. Tell them about what he's done for you. They need you to share how he changed your life. How do you change a country? Number one, preach the gospel. Number two, how do you change a country? You pray. 
What does it say in verse 25? And again, normally we would go verse by verse. We did all of that last week, so I'm pulling some truths from the passage we systematically went through last week. Look at verse number 25, the first half of it. Acts 16, verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas, what church? When all hope seemed lost, they had followed God. God, we want to preach over here. We want to preach over there. God said, no, I want you to go to Europe. God, we're in Europe. We're going to go to Philippi. Okay, great. We preached. That lady got saved. That's pretty exciting. If they had social media, hey, it's, this new ministry in Philippi is going great. This, this wealthy lady just got saved. This is going to be awesome. Can't wait to see what else God's going to do here in Philippi. You know, you know what else God was going to do? He was going to allow them to get scourged, to get beaten, to get bloodied, to get hurt, and to get imprisoned. That's what God was going to allow them to do. That, that doesn't make for the best social media post. And you know what their response was when the plans didn't go the way they thought? They prayed. They didn't, they didn't shake their fist at God. They didn't get angry. They didn't get bitter. They didn't seek revenge. They didn't, they didn't start a, 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 an, an underground movement to try to overthrow those that had been wrong with them. What, they prayed. When all hope seemed lost, what did they do? They prayed. You want to see something change, a, a life, a family, a church, a, a city, a, a state, a country? What should we do? To, we should pray. What was God's message to his children in Israel when their nation was in trouble in Chronicles? What was his message? You know that verse? If my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and, and what? Pray. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. National change, God said to the nation of Israel, begins with national prayer. National change begins with believers praying to the God of heaven, would you intercede on behalf of our nation and of our children and of our grandchildren? Pray if my people, we post, we pontificate, we debate, we criticize, we boycott, we picket. Do we pray? How much did you pray for our nation this week? How much did I? I just want to see some change. How's your prayer? The Bible says to pray for those in authority. Well, I didn't vote for them. Pray for those that are in authority. Well, I did vote for them. Pray for those that are in authority. This is where the rubber meets the road. Oh, we love to say, I hope D.C. solves all the problems for us. And I'm thankful for those that serve in D.C. with a righteous heart and, and seek to do what's right for our nation. But, but the answer is for you and for me to pray. Pray for our country. Pray for those in leadership. Yes, get involved and do those things. Yes, vote, but pray. Will you pray for our president in January 2020, whether he's the man you voted for or not? Have you prayed for your neighbors? for your coworkers, for your family, for your church, for your city, for your friends, for your enemies. You know, that's, that's what a Christian's supposed to do. What did they do? Didn't look like great change was coming to the city of Philippi. Looked like the only guys that could bring the change through their preaching were locked up in jail. And you know what they did? They prayed. How do you change a country? How do we change a country? Talk to me, number one. What do we need to do? We need to preach the... Number two, we need to. Number three, how do you change a country? You praise. Praise. Look at verse 25, the second half of it. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, and then notice what it says in verse 25. And what, church? And saying what? Praises unto God. Do you see that little phrase? And the prisoners heard them. People hear your response to the dark times. They see your response to the deep valleys of your life. 
and it impacts them. There's something powerful, life-changing when we watch a Christian keep their praise when they have no human reason to praise. I think of Gina, and she's walked through two and a half years of deep valley with her husband's health. The last year, has, he's been in a hospital. She, for, for six, seven months, she hasn't been able to spend time with him personally. And you know where she is every Sunday? Right there. You know what she's doing every Sunday? Singing praises. You know where she is on Monday? In her fifth grade class, investing in those children. Her life is a life of praise. God, I don't understand, but you're still good. You know what you'll see on her every time you talk to her? A smile, a rejoicing. You know what that is? That's powerful. A Christian praising in the midst of heartache is powerful. There is something deeply impactful about seeing a Christian praise in the midst of their darkness. I want to say that statement again. There is something deeply impactful about seeing a Christian praise in the midst of their darkness. What was the answer when things weren't going the way that they wanted? When, when the politicians were against Christianity in Philippi, when they were imprisoning them for stand, what was their response? We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to pray to God. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to sing praises. And that little concert in that jail didn't just stay to them. And the prisoners heard them. The jailer heard them. People took notice and said there's something different about them. Guess what? When a trial in a few verses is going to come to, his, to their jailer, when, when, when a life-shattering trial is about to come into his life that he didn't expect, who did he run to in his time of need? He ran to the Christians that praised in their time of need. He ran to them and said, what must I do to be saved? I watched you praise in your midnight hour, and now I'm in my midnight hour. I need to know the answer that you have because I have no praise. Christian, have you lost your praise? Have you lost your joy? When we sing together corporately, do you just stand there and kind of mumble the words and, and not move your lips on your own in the car or with your family? Have you lost that? Has COVID stolen your joy? Has the news media taken your praise and replaced it with fear? Do the elections have you anxious and worried? Have you stopped singing praise? Take a lesson from Paul and Silas and praise him even here, wherever the even here is for you. How do you change a country? You preach the gospel, you pray, you praise. This week, I heard a song I'd never heard before. I shared it on my Facebook feed. It was a friend of mine singing. She and I went to the same college. She has one of the most beautiful voices I've ever heard. She and her husband live in Tennessee. She and her husband have faced some deep pain and heartache in their lives. They've, they face some really difficult things, but she's not lost her praise. And I don't normally do this in my message, but I had planned, I planned it even before yesterday, and then as I drove to Harbor City to see Jean, Gina and Leonard, as I listened to this song, tears filled my eyes, and I thought, this is what we all need. The song is entitled, Hallelujah, Even Here. She, she recorded it in her car on her cell phone. The audio isn't great, but it reminded me when I heard it earlier this week of this, this passage, because it says on the bridge, I want you to listen to the words in a moment and think about it. On the bridge, it says, sometimes choosing just to sing is the thing that changes everything. And I thought of Paul and Silas. When they prayed and sang, what happened? God changed everything. So I'd like you for a couple of moments, as I and think about Paul and Silas singing praise, and think about you, this song, Hallelujah, even here.
Hallelujah, even here. Think about the words on the second verse. Listen to the bridge, church. Hallelujah, even here. I never heard that song before this week. I've probably listened to it 25 times, probably five or eight times on the way to and from the hospital last night. Hallelujah, even here. What were Paul and Silas saying? Hallelujah, even here in the prison cell. Can you say that? This Tuesday, will you be able to say? Hallelujah, even here. Those that are watching you at work, at home, your kids, your social media feed, will they know that you're saying hallelujah, even here? Whatever's coming into your life, hallelujah, even here. How did they change a country? They lifted up Christ everywhere that they went. They preached, they prayed, they praised. By the way, this passage doesn't stop here with how to change a country. It shows us who does God want to use to change a country and who does he want to reach? I want to answer that next question. And these last two questions I'll answer quickly. The who, that was the bulk of the message. The who is does God use to change a country and who does he want to reach? The first who that I see in this passage was the rich. The Lydia, uh, the seller of purple. Sometimes we, wherever we are, whatever our group is, we kind of look at the other group with disdain. If you're, if you're maybe poor, you look at the wealthy with disdain. If you're wealthy, you maybe look at the poor. I'm not saying everyone does this, but we can have a tendency or, well, let's tax the rich more and make them pay for my stuff and let's do this. And even in politics, that's kind of the mentality. Let's pit classes against each other. The gospel of Jesus Christ, you know who God wants to use to change a country? He wants to use the rich. He took the, the, the word of God to Lydia. You know who else he wants to use? He wants to use the poor. 
the demon-possessed damsel. She was a slave to these men. And you know what? Paul and Silas, the word of Christ, the name of Christ changed her life. It, it got rid of that demonic spirit in her. You know who God wants to change? The working class. The jailer, the Philippian jailer. You know who God wants to use to change a country? Women, the first convert. Men, uh, the, the jailer and others. Families. We have two households reached in this one chapter. Those seeking God, the ladies by the river, those against God, the men, the criminals in the, in the, uh, in the jail. Those aren't really what you think of as your deacons and your preachers. And you know what? God wanted the men who were against God to hear the gospel. Different races. In this one chapter, we have Asians and Greeks and Romans and Jews and maybe a few others that we don't know what their nationality is. How do you change a country? Who does God want us to reach? He wants us to reach everybody. He cares about the rich and the poor and the middle class. He cares about women and men. He cares about this nationality and that. In fact, in his sight, it's all one race, the human race. We sometimes close ourselves in in our little bubbles, spending all of our time with those who look like us, think like us, act like us, and believe like us. It's one reason I love our church. You look around this church, and we have all kinds. We have people that have doctorate degrees, and we have people that are high school dropouts, and God loves and is using both of, the, both of those groups mightily. And we have people that were born in the early uh, to mid-1900s, and we have people that were born in the last year in our church. And we have folks that were, have been multi-generation in America and folks that just got to America somewhere in, their, in this generation. And we have all kinds of things. That's what it should be, church. We will never see God use us to change the world around us from our safe, homogenized bubbles. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That person over there. Now, I understand we, we must stand for truth, and sometimes the truth will divide us. I'm not talking about compromising our beliefs and our doctrines to just accept any evil, ungodly, wicked religious stance or political stance. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, and yes, stand for truth, but make sure your heart is right as you stand for truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. God died for the Republican, the Democrat, the Independent. God died for the educated and the uneducated. God died for the rich and the poor, the American soldier and the terrorist, the Baptist, the atheist, the Catholic, the animist, and the agnostic. Red and yellow, black, brown, white, they are all precious in his sight. We see that here in his, how did they change a country? The gospel was not for some select group of people. The gospel was for everyone he came into contact with. The gospel was for anybody that would listen. If we are going to change our world, we're going to have to grow in our love for our Lord and for those he died for. Lastly, this passage answers the question of where. Where should we preach? Where should we pray? Where should we praise? We said how. How do you change a country? Three thoughts. Preach, pray, and praise. That's how you change a country. Who? Who does God want us to use to change? Who does God want us to reach? Everybody. And then three, where? Where does God want us to preach, to pray, to praise? I see first in the church, and this might be taking a little liberty. I'm talking about that little gathering where they were praying by the river. It's not what we would call a New Testament local church, but it was definitely a spiritual gathering. And you know what Paul did in a spiritual gathering? He preached and I believe prayed and praised. He preached the gospel. God won. And we are usually pretty good at doing these three things here preaching, praying, and praising, even if you don't want to, if you just sat here for the last hour, you were kind of forced to preach. Now, you weren't forced to praise, but you had to, you had to endure while a bunch of people around you praised. 
and you're hearing preaching, and we're pretty good at here, but we see that that happened, if I can, in the church, in that religious gathering. Let her be in our daily lives. Notice what it says in verse 18. And this did she many days. This demon-possessed woman was following them in their daily lives. And what did Paul do? It wasn't time for a worship service, but in his regular routine, Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Paul, this thing of, of sharing Christ, this thing of being a Christian was not a one-hour commitment for Paul. It's why he changed. God used him to change so many cities and start so many churches and see so many lives change with the power of the gospel. This thing of the Christian life for Paul, he, he said, he said uh, that his life was Christ. Christ, who is our life. That's what he said in one of his letters. It was not a one-hour commitment. Or you say, well, I, I come back, Pastor Ryan, on Sunday night at 5, and I'm excited about our message tonight at 5, looking at the life of King Saul. I come back at 5. It was not just a two- or three-hour commitment on a Sunday. For Paul, where did he preach, and where did he pray, and where did he praise? In his daily life, everywhere he went, he was seeking to be a Christian that shined the light of Jesus everywhere he went. Don't compartmentalize Christ into your family a few hours a week, and then you do your thing the rest of the week. No, Christ is a part of everything we do. Where, where should we do these things? In our deepest valleys. I've already talked about that. Verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises. And then lastly, where should we do it? In our miraculous victories. Look at verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, listen to this, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. That's amazing. Who was the one that locked Paul up in stocks to make sure he couldn't get out of jail? That guy. We don't know for sure, but it would not be, it would not be unlikely that that man had a part in scourging Paul, in beating him. And God has now answered. Now Paul is enjoying a miraculous victory in his life. He's on a mountaintop experience. Things are going good. And you know what Paul's heart was when things were going good? I still want to do whatever I can to help those around me. Here's the thing. In our human condition, when things are going well, it's easy to get distracted and just enjoy it for ourselves. Take, eat, drink, and be merry. Man, God, you've really blessed me. It's one reason in the Old Testament, uh, in Deuteronomy, Moses had to challenge and command the children of Israel. He said, you're getting ready to go into a season of miraculous victory. You're going into Canaan. You're getting ready to experience some mountaintop experiences. And here's what he said. I think it's Deuteronomy 6, if you want to look back at it. It says, not right now, but later. It says, beware lest thou forget. Be careful because sometimes success, success causes us to forget how much we need God. Victories cause us to think, man, I've got this on my own. 
When the bills are paid and when the, when the, when the kids are doing well and the, when the health is good, we, we think, I can, I can handle this. And, and it's been said we would run to him less if we walked with him more. But often the times that we run to God are times of crisis. And at 9-11, our churches were filled with people praying. And, and even during earlier, during the COVID, and, and people looking for an answer. And when things are bad, when you lose the job and when there's a health need. And, and I'm not saying don't run to God in those times. What I am saying is in the times of plenty and in the times of blessing, don't forget God still wants you to be a witness and a light. God still wants to use you to impact other people's lives. We sit back and enjoy our comfort and our ease, not Paul and Silas. What could they have done if they wanted, church? Let's just think about it logically. They're in jail. They're, they're bleeding. They've got some small, maybe some things are starting to scab up a little bit. There's still some ooze, some pus. They've, they've got these terrible sores. They're in pain. They've, God just broke off the chains and opened all the prison doors. What could they have done very easily? They could have gotten out of there, saved themselves. And you know what Paul did in the midst of his miraculous victory? Don't hurt yourself. I know you hurt me. Don't hurt yourself. We're all here. God loves you. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. In the midst of their miraculous victories. The bad times with Paul and Silas, I want you to hear this, this, this statement. The bad times didn't discourage them away from preaching, praying, and praising. And the good times didn't distract them away from preaching, praying, and praising. The bad times have a way of discouraging us from preaching, praying, and praising. The good times have a way of distracting us from preaching, praying, and praising. And with Paul and Silas, it didn't matter what the times were. They were preaching, praying, and praising. You've listened well. What does America need, church family? America needs a host of preaching, praying, and praising Christians. America needs churches who will preach and pray and praise to the rich, the poor, the friends of God, and the enemies of God in times of prosperity and in times of physical or spiritual famine. America needs preachers who believe that God can still work even when faced with the possibility of a prison experience. Your family needs to see a believer who preaches, prays, and praises when people joyfully receive you and when people despitefully use you. Think about it. The ladies by the river, what did they do? They joyfully received Paul and Silas. That, that demon-possessed damsel's masters, what did they do? They despitefully lied and accused Paul and Silas. And what did it do? It didn't change Paul and Silas one bit. What effect did those things have on them? Absolutely nothing. They kept preaching and praying and praising. How? How are we going to see real change come? The gospel of Christ. Prayer. And praise. Who does God want to have that change happen in their lives? Everybody. And where should we as Christians be doing those things? At church? In our daily lives? In the, in the midnight hour? On the mountaintop experience. God wants us to do those. And so my question, church family, is how's your preaching? Who have you shared Christ with recently? And our nation needs change. Who did you invite to join you in church to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? Who did you say a prayer for? Who did you send a text message with a Bible verse? Man, we, we've got to get this guy into office. We've got to get that guy out of office. We've got to get that proposition voted down. And again, I voted on Friday. I'm with you. But as Christians, how's your preaching? How is it? How's your sharing of the good news with those around you? Hey, Christian, how's your praying? Are you praying or just worrying and complaining? And Christian, 
How's your praising? Can you say hallelujah even here? When the battle is, when the storm is relentless, as that chorus said, when the battle seems endless, hallelujah even here. We, I think all of us would agree, our country needs change. My life needs some change. That's why people get so passionate. We, we, we think if we get that guy in, maybe the change we're looking for will come. And depending on what guy you get in, certain change does come. President Trump has nominated three Supreme Court justices. That brings some change to our nation. Wherever you land, whether you think that's good or bad, the reality is that brings some change. So I get it, but sometimes we put our hope in that's going to bring the change we need. And you know what we see with Paul and Silas? How did they bring change to a continent that would bring the gospel to us? Wherever they found themselves, they faithfully preached, prayed, and praised. Let's help bring the change that's needed in our world this week. Let's preach Christ. Let's pray to God. And let's praise Him, even here. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.